reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray today that we will learn to forgive even as you have forgiven us. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we start, as you can see, a brand new message series called, What If? What If? I came up with this idea when I realized that there are a lot of things that people consider impossible that are really possible if they would only just apply the principles of God's Word. I mean, many times in my life I have caught myself saying, I'm just this way. It's how I've always been. There's nothing I can do about it. I guess I'll always be this way. I probably passed that excuse off to Nancy any number of times over the years. Now, if I were talking about my height or my eye color or my skin color, then that might be true. That's just the way I am. I'm not going to change. But virtually other, every other aspect in your life and in my life is within your power to change, even more so if you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I hear people say, as I'm often guilty of saying, I'm just this way, I can't help but think, but what if you weren't that way? What if you weren't that way? What if you were to actually let go of some of the bad habits and the bad attitudes that hold you back? What if you made some changes? What would your life be like then? And so that's really what this series is all about. What if? It's about exploring new possibilities, but approaching them from the eyes of Jesus. Now, today we're going to ask this question, what if I forgave everyone? You don't need to raise your hand, but do any of you have a hard time forgiving other people? Are there people right now that you are kind of holding in a position of unforgiveness where you've said, I'll never forgive these people, those bums, those scum, those people who've done me wrong. Here's something rather interesting. When I began writing out this message, and if you type the word unforgiveness into your word processor and you have spell check turned on, you know what happens? The word unforgiveness is underlined. And the reason is, is because unforgiveness isn't really a word. Isn't that interesting? Unforgiveness is not really a word. But that doesn't stop us from being that way. People who practice unforgiveness. I mean, many times, I think we, we kid ourselves into thinking that we've forgiven other people, but we haven't really quite let go of it. And if you hang on to unforgiveness, it creates all kinds of problems. It creates emotional torment. There's bitterness. There's moodiness. There's sleeplessness. I mean, people just can't sleep because they're still hanging on to some part of unforgiveness. It's been said that harboring unforgiveness in your life is like drinking poison and hoping that it will kill your enemies. See, so when you hang on to unforgiveness, it hurts you more than it hurts anyone else. I mean, some, some people really think that by forgiving other people who've done them wrong, that that somehow will give them leverage over you. 
Or by refusing to forgive, they feel like they can actually extend punishment on that other person. But who really gets punished in these situations? It's the unforgiver. They're the ones who continue to carry the weight of offense. Reminds me of a story I read a long time ago. November 1930, in the Chicago Examiner newspaper, reported the story of a man named Harry Havens. He went to bed and he stayed there for seven years with a blindfold over his eyes because he was angry at his wife. I mean, Havens had always tried to be a good husband. He worked around the house, took care of the yard, he carried out the trash, and he even helped with the dishes. But one day his wife complained that he wasn't doing something right. And Harry decided that enough was enough. And he said, all right, if that's the way you feel, I'm going to bed, and I'm going to stay there for the rest of my life, and I don't want to ever see you again. So Harry went to bed, put on a blindfold, and he stayed there. Now, he finally got up after seven years because the bed started feeling a little bit uncomfortable. The the article's headline said, Man spites his wife by staying blindfolded in bed seven years. Now, maybe his exile did get on her nerves somewhat, but who did Harry really spite? Who was the biggest loser in this extended temper tantrum? It was Harry himself. I mean, he lost seven years of his life. I mean, no walks in the sunshine, no reading, no laughter with friends, just seven long, miserable years trying to settle a score that maybe was never, ever settled. I think that illustration just kind of shows you how foolish unforgiveness is and how it ultimately hurts the unforgiver more than anyone else. And I've seen it happen so many times, not only in my life, but in the lives of other people. A person hangs on to unforgiveness towards another person, and it eats them up and it keeps them awake at night. Meanwhile, the other person that you won't forgive, what are they doing? They're just party, party, party. They're just happy. They're happy, happy. They go merrily on. They're not even aware that you are holding this against them. There's no good to hang on to unforgiveness. I mean, you might just as well drink poison. But if you're willing, this is what I'm saying, okay, what if, what if instead you would put the principles of forgiveness that are in the Bible (coughs) into practice? I would suggest you would create for yourself a better life. So let me give you a few suggestions. What will it do? Well, first of all, you will experience peace. That's for sure. That gnawing sensation in your life is going to go away. That unsettled sense of resentment and discontent will disappear, and it will be replaced with that peace that the Bible says that passes all understanding. Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom said, Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize that the prisoner was you. In Colossians 3, verses 13 and 15, you see up here on the screen, Paul says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And then he goes on and says, Let the peace of Christ dwell in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. <clears throat> I hope you recognize in those two verses that there is a connection between forgiveness and peace. 
Friends, if there is no peace in your life today, maybe it's because some of you have got unforgiveness in your heart. If there's no peace in your marriage, if there's no peace in your family, maybe it's because you're still kind of hanging on to past hurts and refusing to let go of yesterday's offenses. If, If there would be no peace in this church, it would be no doubt for the very same reason. We haven't fully learned to forgive one another. So if you want to learn, if you want peace to reign in your life, you need to learn to forgive. Here's the second thing I would tell you. You will find it easier to forgive yourself. <clears throat> a lot of people just need to learn that. I mean, if you're a forgiving person and are willing to extend mercy to others, it's easier to cut yourself a little bit of slack, to give yourself a little mercy. And if you struggle a lot with guilt and regret, then maybe you should just take a look at your attitude. I shared this with an email with somebody this last week who told me that they still struggle with regret, that they feel very guilty. And basically I said, you know, you, maybe the first thing you ought to do is check out your attitude. Maybe the problem is you. It's not somebody else. Take a look at your attitude towards people who live around you. Take a look at your attitude that you still carry towards people in your past. I mean, have you forgiven those people who need to be forgiven? Here's the third one. You experience the fullness of forgiveness. I mean, sometimes Jesus said things that were so simple, so straightforward, and so direct, that it leaves you with only one of two choices. Choice one is to take his words exactly as he said them, or to spend about a half an hour to an hour talking in theological circles to explain why this isn't what he really meant. I mean, those are your choices. Now, there's a good way, a good example of this in Luke 6.37. Jesus says, as plain as day, forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, you can either take that exactly as Jesus said it, Or you can sit around for a half an hour to debate whether what he said is really true. We know, we're going to say it a little bit later again in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lord, forgive us in the same manner in which we forgive other people. Now, when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and you begin that journey that we call the Christian life, Your sins are forgiven. That's what happens. That's what we teach and believe. And as you continue to walk in that forgiveness, God expects you to walk in forgiveness towards other people as well. And if you refuse to forgive other people, what that does is it blocks the flow of forgiveness towards you. I mean, that's why Jesus says very emphatically, forgive us as we forgive others. I mean, this is a a principle of... Uh, I wrote a big word down here for myself I can't even pronounce, so I'm trying to think what I'm going to say instead. I'm going to put it this way. uh, You get back what you give. You get back what you give. I mean, that's why generous people always seem to have enough to get by and often have more than enough. It's why people who are loving tend to be surrounded by people who love them. It's why people who are merciful to other people find themselves on the receiving end of mercy. Jesus, remember the 
the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will what? Receive mercy. But when you hang on to this unforgiving attitude, you're not just drinking poison into that relationship between you and your spouse or you and your children or you and a co-worker. You're drinking poison into your spiritual life. You're cutting yourself off from a right standing with God. You're cutting yourself away from this life of blessing and peace and power. Now, on the other hand, when you live by the principle of forgiveness, you open your life, the door in your life, to all that God has for you. And so the question is, how do I do this? I mean, how do I become a more forgiving person? How do I forgive? How do I possibly put this into practice? Well, I think you and I both know that this is easier said than done. Because if you're anything like me, you tend to hang on to things for a long time long time. I'm going to admit something to you this morning. My parents were divorced when I was very young. Part of the reason was because my father abandoned the family. Um, I was left with my grandparents. My father spent most of the time my growing up life in prison. As a result of that, I carried a great deal of resentment toward him. You know, he appeared in my life on a couple of different occasions, and I remember even at my high school graduation showing up drunk. And you build up a little resentment towards some people. I guess resentment is another word for kind of an unforgiving attitude. And I kind of hung on to that and kind of just passed it off as well. He deserves it. I mean, he's the one who did this. I could never forgive him. Well, I remember the night that I got my vicarage assignment. We are having a little party at our house in <coughs> Fort Wayne, Indiana. And my mother called and said, your father died, and they want you to do the funeral. First funeral I ever did. With somebody that I was holding a grudge against. Now, there's a couple of different thoughts here. One is... I'm, what are you going to do about it now? You know, but I had a flight from Fort Wayne to Chicago, out to Lincoln, Nebraska, and then a long drive out to Ogallala, Nebraska, cowboy capital of Nebraska, to do his funeral. And during that time, I began to remember something in the book of Acts where it talks about insofar as it's possible with you. And I remember standing when I went to the funeral home and seeing him lay in the casket and my first thought was, wow, miniature me. And uh, <clears throat> I guess I wasn't adopted after all. And the second thing was, I just need to give this up. It's not right for me to hang on to this anymore. That's why I say it's easier said than done, because we tend to hang on to little things like that. And it just weighs us down. And I tell you that from that point on, you know, I felt so much better about things. The sad truth is we tend to hang on to stuff like that. At the same time, what are we doing? We're asking God to forgive the big stuff in our own lives. Jesus told a story about that. I read it to you before. That king who decided to settle accounts with people. And one of the servants owed him really millions of dollars. <clears throat> I mean, translated into modern money, this guy owed him millions of dollars. The man couldn't pay it back. In fact, the man couldn't possibly pay back this debt. 
And the king said, well, you know, the choice is I can sell you, your wife, and your kids into slavery, which sounds really terrible to us, but that's the way it was back in the days of Jesus. And he begs, he says, have mercy on me, be patient with me, I'll pay it back. And then the king did something really, really unexpected. And the people who heard this story would have been stunned when they heard Jesus tell the story. Jesus said, okay, it's forgiven. Can you imagine anybody today forgiving a multi-million dollar debt? Of course, later what happens, this guy comes across another one of his servants, owes him money, owes him, owes him about really about three months' wages, a comparatively small amount of money, and he demands to have it back. In fact, he's choking this guy. And this guy's begging for the same kind of mercy, and this guy won't allow it. He throws him into the debtor's prison. Now, you remember, when the word got back to the king, the king is just really burned up. He said, you wicked servant, I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then he ordered that man thrown back into prison until he could pay that multi-million dollar debt. And then Jesus says something very startling in, in verse 35. He said, this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now, I just sometimes wonder what the reaction was to people as they were listening to this. Because first of all, when Jesus is telling this story and a multi-million dollar debt is forgiven, people would have gone, oh my gosh, whoa. It would have blown, it would have blown their mind. The little penny-ante debt, they probably went, wow, you, I mean, that, that's, that's nothing by comparison. And then Jesus really zaps them between the eyes. But this is the same way your father treats you if you don't forgive. I guess the moral of the story, if you're going to look for a moral of the story, is this, is that God takes forgiveness very, very seriously. If you want to live the Christian life, and you want to experience the benefits of the Christian life, if you want to walk in the sweetness of God's fellowship, if you want to enjoy his unlimited mercy and compassion and forgiveness, he expects you to, to show the same mercy, the same compassion, the same level of forgiveness to other people. Now, I'm going to just give you a few things to remember here in applying the principles of forgiveness. Number one, forgive as God has forgiven you. I mean, these are the same words that Paul used. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So forgive as God, or forgive in the same manner in which God has forgiven you. Now let me ask this question. How has God forgiven you? Could you answer that question with one word? How has God forgiven you? Anybody got one word? Answer that what? That's a goodness I put new batteries in my hearing aids this morning. I didn't understand a single one of them. How about completely? I'll give you the answer. Okay. You probably said freely. I'm not sure what you all said, but you're all right, too. Um, but I just think completely, freely, thoroughly, and whatever word you want to choose. I'm totally. Uh, he forgives you, and most importantly, he forgets about it. Jeremiah 31, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. You ever tell somebody, yeah, we'll, we'll forgive and forget? You never forget. You'll haul that sucker up every time that you need it. 
There's a story about a woman who told her pastor that God speaks to her, that God tells her everything she wants to know. The pastor said, really? Well, I committed a particularly ugly sin when I was a teenager. You go and ask God to tell you what that sin was, and maybe I will believe you. So the lady goes away, and she comes back the next day. And the pastor said, did, God, did you ask God about that sin I committed when I was a teenager? The woman said, yes, pastor, and I must have been wrong about hearing the voice of God. Because I asked what sin you committed, and he said, I don't remember. And the pastor said, ma'am, then you are truly hearing the voice of God. Now that's just a story. It has a few theological holes in it. But it makes a point. God forgives and God forgets. He does not remember your sins. In the same way, you need to be willing to forget the sins of other people. Forgiving and forgetting is really difficult, but it's an intentional choice that you can make and the Spirit of God can help you do it. Clara Barton, who was the founder of the American Red Cross, was confronted one day with the memory of a betrayal she had experienced years before. But she acted as if she'd never heard about the incident. A friend of hers said, Don't you remember what that person did? And Clara replied, No, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Now when you forgive someone, the objective is to let it go. The objective is to never ever bring it up again, because that's how God in Christ does it for you. You ever had a conversation in your house? How often are you going to keep bringing that up? You ever had conversations like that? I mean, how long is it going to be before you don't talk about this anymore? I thought you forgave me. Let go of it. Let go of it. Here's the second one. You forgive only people you need to forgive. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, I've met a lot of people who struggle with unforgiveness over things that really aren't any of their business. Now, here's the point. When somebody commits a sin that doesn't involve you, it's not up to you to forgive them. It's not up to you to have an unforgiving attitude towards that person. Pray for restoration. Pray for those who got hurt. Pray that God will do what needs to be done in order to make the situation right. But what you cannot do, and understand this, what you cannot do is perch yourself up on the throne and decide who gets forgiven and who doesn't get forgiven. And this doesn't just apply to people who make headlines. I mean, this applies to people right here in this church. It applies to the people you work with. If there are two people who are having a conflict and you are not directly involved in the problem or the solution, butt out. It's not your job to sit in judgment against those people. You want proof? Jesus said it pretty clear. And again, you can either take his word for his word or you can sit around and argue for a half an hour they didn't really mean what he meant. But Jesus says... In Matthew 18, 15, if somebody sins against you, if somebody sins against you, then you need to deal with the offense and you need to deal with forgiving them. 
But if somebody else gets caught up in a sin that does not involve you, then pray for that person. Don't gossip about that person. Pray for that person. Pray for the people who are involved in it. Pray that there will be some restoration. Pray that God will work out that situation according to his will and not according to your will. But don't presume to be the forgiver in a situation that does not involve you. You're going to find yourself dealing with resentment towards other people who, who don't have the biggest idea who you even are. Or you'll give, your, give in to that temptation of self-righteousness and uh, you'd be smug. And, it, and it's, it's all because you try to put yourself in a position in which you don't belong. If you're struggling with some unforgiveness today, friends, maybe you ought to ask yourself this question. Does this situation really involve me? Or did I stick my nose into somebody else's business where it doesn't belong? Do I need to forgive, or instead do I just need to pray for those involved that they can forgive one another as God would have them do? Quite honestly, I think that point's worth the price of admission today. I think there are a lot of people who got their nose in the wrong place. Enough said. Next thing I know, I'll start meddling. Point three. You forgive face to face. That's how you do it. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 50, If your brother sins against you, you go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Hello, First Lutheran Church. Yeah, Pastor, I'm calling. I don't know if you knew this, this other person in our church, you know, John Smith. I mean, he was just bad-mouthing me something really bad the other day. Yeah, and what do you want me to do about it? Well, Pastor, could you go over there and just slap him around a little bit and rake him over the coals and jump on him and quote some Bible passages against him? Yeah, I'll be right on that. Ain't going to ever happen. You call me and tell, you, tell me that you got a problem with somebody else, I can guarantee you what I'm going to tell you. You go and you talk to that person. Oh, but Pastor, I couldn't do that. Well then, I apologize for saying this, but shut up. You have no business talking about it then. I mean, there's only two people you can talk to. You talk to that person, you talk to God. You don't talk to anybody else. This is a tough one, Matthew 18. Yeah, Jesus says somebody sins against you. Just the two of you. The simple truth is that most people refuse to take this step in their relationships. They talk to other people. I mean, I get together with John for coffee, and I, you know, John, i got to tell you about this guy. I mean, this guy just, he just, he, he said X, Y, and Z about me this last week. And this next thing you know, I, I got John sitting in judgment against this and violating the previous principle I talked about. I'm trying to get people on my side. But they don't talk to each other. And the anger and the resentment and the bitterness grow because people refuse to deal with forgiveness one-on-one. Now, Jesus said that if talking one-on-one doesn't work, then you talk about it with a couple of others, and I would say other Christian people. I mean, don't go find some other people who would be willing to you know, pick up building clubs and rocks and everything to go and stone some guy in his front yard. And if that doesn't work, it says, then bring it to the church. I mean, Matthew 18 is very, very specific about how we deal with conflict. And a lot of people today have so much debris from conflict in their life because they refuse to deal with it spiritually. 
I mean, here's what I have learned in 45 plus years of ministry. The overwhelming majority of the time when people meet and discuss matters one on one, the conflict gets resolved and the relationship is strengthened. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the overwhelming majority of the time, and my estimate is, just from my own knowledge, is about 90% of the time, steps number two and three are never necessary. You take care of it. I mean, there's power in having the courage to go and sit down with somebody else and look somebody in the eye and say, can we somehow figure this out? Can we resolve this situation? And in my experience, this step is all you really need to start the process of forgiveness and reconciliation. I mean, what if you were to do this with people you have problems with today? What if you were to let go of the unforgiveness that so many people hang on to? What if you were to treat other people as Jesus treats you, with mercy and compassion? What if you were to meet face-to-face with those with whom you have conflict and seek some form of resolution? What if you forgave everyone who has ever offended you and you let go of all of those resentments? What if? I mean, can you see how that would change your life? I mean, can you see how it would make for much better relationships within your marriage or your family or your workplace? Or how it would bring more peace and order in your life? Or how it would open up the door to God's blessings? But I say the only way we can do this is if we ourselves are holy. Now, you might say, well, hold on, that's never going to happen. But God says, I can purify you. That's part of the sanctification process that... We've sung about today already that God, through Jesus, brought about justification. He made us right again with God through the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now he says, now live like it. You've seen the sign out in front of the church that said, Christ is risen. Now go tell someone. There's a response to this. And that is to go about living a holy life. If we ourselves were right with God, then we ourselves are walking with God. And only then can we approach each situation gently, with a heart full of love and a mindset on restoration. May God grant to all of us the grace and compassion and the mercy with other people, even as he has shared it with us. Pray it.